1: Welcome to the Seahawks Man-to-Man Podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Duggar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. You guys know where to follow me at. I'm verified, all that good stuff. Uh, Chris, talk to the people.
2: What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that's CKIDD206.
1: We have a special guest with us on the podcast to talk NFL draft news. We have a draft analyst for the Draft Network, the homie George. Reed, was also the host of the Reed Option podcast. Jordan, what up, man? Nice to have you back for a second time on the show.
3: What's going on, fellas? It's a pleasure being here, man. It feels like forever since we've seen each other at the combine. It feels like five years. Ago. Yeah,
1: man. Yeah.
3: Back on here, man. What
1: was that? Last? Yeah, last February, man. We're chopping it yeah. up in Indy. Man, been been a long time, but man, been following your work since then. Really appreciate the insights and love it. I can't wait to hop into it today. You ready, man? Let's talk some draft stuff. Let's do it. You know, for you, I want to know what goes into your process of scouting. So, for example, I say I'm, I'm, I'm your editor or whatever. I say, Jordan, I need your top 10 receivers for 2021. Um, You know, wh- what do you do? How do you start and what are you looking for when you pop on the tape?
3: So it's really a position by position thing. You know, you're not going to look for the same thing in quarterbacks as you do wide receivers. So the first thing I'll say is there's certain characteristics that you're looking for in certain positions. And I'll just start off with my process. So the way we do it at the draft network is that we actually treat it like an actual scouting department. So everybody has a certain section of the country, um, but something that we Mm -hmm. did different this year was we split it up by conferences. So I had the sec, the big 12, and I have a bunch of FCS schools and also division two and division three. So there's a big database of players that you get and you're responsible for scouting all those guys from background information to obviously looking at the tape as well. That's the biggest thing that you're looking for. And you're just, piecing together pretty much different pieces of the puzzle. And then you're basically putting together resumes for all of these guys, and you're just keeping track of each one throughout the year. And like I said, you outline the certain characteristics that you're looking for in certain positions. And it's different based on the person. It's a case-by-case basis. One scout is going to look for certain things in wide receivers that I may not necessarily look for in certain receivers. So you just have to really outline what your core values are. As far as what you're looking for with wide receivers, some of the things that I look for, obviously hands is going to be the big things that you're looking for. How just technically sound they are as a route runner. What is their awareness like when they're out running those routes and then just how savvy they are as a route runner on the field. So that's just a quick peek behind the curtain. and some of the things that I look for. And then also evaluation
1: process as well. What's, what's difficult uh, about scouting, whether it's offensive guys or defensive guys.
3: Um, The biggest thing I would say is just understanding the player and what I mean by understanding the player is something that I've learned and I've been doing this seriously since 2018. So I'm not an OG in the game or anything like that. I'm still relatively new for the most part. But something that I learned is just understanding how to paint the entire picture of a prospect. And what I mean by that is get to know these guys off the field with their helmets off as well. So Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, the guy that I always like to use as an example, and you guys are very familiar with him is Malik McDowell. And Mm -hmm. I made a huge mistake and he, he really taught me something in the scouting process just because I had him ranked as a top five prospect in 2017 when he was coming out. And obviously we, we all know about the ATV accident and what happened with that. But what I mean by painting the entire picture is just getting to know them off the field and just understanding what type of person they are with their helmet off. I can pop in a YouTube video and see that he's sacking the quarterback and he moves really well, but just what type of character do you have and just what type of person you are off the field?
1: Well, I think you you're not alone there in thinking Malik was a top 10 guy, a top 5 guy. I think the Seahawks felt the same way. They felt that they were getting a top 5 talent with the 35th pick. And perhaps they were. They were probably also getting maybe like a top 5 guy with red flags uh that, you know, probably should have been seen before the drafts and with the, with the pandemic, you know, throwing off a little bit of the last year's evaluations with the pro days and then a good chunk of the season guys opting out a shortened season. How did your scouting process change because of COVID? It was a little bit
3: different this year, just because if you think about it last year, when COVID really hit, I think it was like early March, we pretty much were wrapping up the pre-draft process, the combine had already happened. You pretty much had everything as far as on guys portfolio, but now with COVID hitting, I mean, there were so many guys that were impacted. You had guys that really opted out. So there's some players that you haven't seen since the 2019 season, like Michael Parsons and Jamar Chase and Gregory Rousseau. So so we really only have one, two years of tape to go off of those guys. But also I love to say your best tape is your latest tape is your best tape. And I think that is very true for a lot of prospects. But like I said, there's so many guys we haven't seen since that 2019 season, but there were some players that got better. Like Zach Wilson from BYU was an example a guy that pretty much was labeled as a fifth or sixth round selection coming into the year. And then obviously you guys see how much of an ascension that he has made this year. So things have really been impacted uh, as far as from an off the field standpoint. But from an on the field standpoint, things are different. Just talking to some scouting buddies in the industry. They weren't able to go through schools at all. So you're not able to talk to the position coaches, the head coaches and people that are in the building. So you're losing out on a key piece
1: of information. With, with those guys who you know opted out was there was there anyone who really hurt their stock by doing that do you think
3: um I wouldn't say necessarily hurt their stock uh, if I did have to say one player that may have hurt themselves is Gregory Rousseau. I think he really could have helped himself just because he's only had one year of tape now obviously if you're six foot six 270 pounds and you go out and get 19 and a half tackles for loss and 15 and a half sacks in your second year ever playing defensive end there's going to be a lot of intrigue with that but he didn't test overly well which was kind of expected for him but you wanted to see if he could repeat that type of production and really take that next step and then a guy like Jalen phillips wearing the same exact number in the same exact uniform goes out and has a similar type of success as him and then on the opposite side of that quincy roche was another player that probably wouldn't the seahawks we'll get into him a little bit later but um, both of those guys had really successful seasons during his absence
1: And I think Seahawks fans have convinced themselves that the scouting won't be as good for this whole class, you know, because of the pandemic and everything. I think that I'm not going to lie. I'm reaching to the minds of Seahawks fans and think they're doing that because Seattle has effectively punted on this draft. They only got three picks. Right. (laughs) But from what you've gathered, whether talking to other guys who do scouting or just in your own evaluations, it feels like, relatively speaking, teams have a lot of knowledge about this whole class top to bottom. Is that the sense you get or no?
3: Yeah. And the media kind of just over exaggerates as far as the effects from the pandemic. Teams are still doing their homework. They're still able to find out information about a lot of these guys just because evaluators and decision makers. They still have a very good networking pool and working relationship with a lot of these schools, whether they drafted players previously from those schools or they know people that they previously worked with. So you're really going to find out who has a really good networking pool as far as getting information. On these guys but also who really did their homework on a lot of these players and was able to really explore different avenues to get that information on the players that they end up drafting
1: now let's get into the seahawks specifically i've kind of outlined two approaches for them there's there's maybe a happy middle in there but let's focus on the two extremes extreme a is basically taking hey we got three picks we're gonna take three guys right we're gonna take three dudes as high as we can and hope that Hey, all of them are good, but you know, maybe at least our second round pick is a stud or the John Snyder Special, as I like to call it trade those picks into as many guys, as many lottery picks as you can. Um, if I, if I give you a raise and say, Hey, you now work for the Seattle Seahawks. Congratulations. Uh, hey, welcome to our draft room. Which approach of those two, would you advise Seattle to take in 2021?
3: Well, I'm always a fan of team trade back, and you kind of take the approach of lottery tickets. And the more tickets that I buy, the more chances that I have of hitting. If I only take those three picks that they do have, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to win the lottery. But if I go and I buy, let's say, seven or eight tickets, I have a better chance of hitting it big. So if I'm Snyder, I definitely do look to trade back. Uh,
1: Is there – because the reason I'm a little apprehensive of that strategy is the risk of, like, taking a lot of swings on guys who probably ain't going to make the team. I mean, you know the hit rate on six-round picks, seventh-round picks, especially when they're trading back from 56 versus a year like when they took Malik. They started with, like, 26 and then flipped all that and ended up getting, like, four third-rounders. Now they're probably looking at if they do trade a bunch, they're ending up with some six or some sevens, guys who their chance of making the team are are low. Are you afraid of that risk with that strategy, or does that matter because your lottery ticket is a lottery ticket?
3: I mean, you can't win the lottery unless you buy a ticket, right? (laughs) 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 Oh, that's (laughs) six and seventh round picks. You never know, especially when you're doing your homework on some of these guys. And it's been a while since that, you know, Snyder had that great run of where he was finding guys on day two and day three where that was churning out as far as being successful players. But like I said, the only way you'll win the lottery is if you buy a ticket. So I'd rather take my chances of trading back and getting those. You know, seven or eight picks and taking a bunch of guys in fifth, sixth and seventh round as opposed to having what a second, fourth and a seventh round pick Mm -hmm. which they have right now. Just that's a lot of pressure on yourself um, as far as putting a lot of pressure on your team. And the Seahawks already don't have a, a lot of depth, in my opinion, as it already is. So I think they can help themselves by trading back and just taking a shot and throwing darts at the draft board. Taking a shot.
2: Okay. It sounds like you are, I'm not saying predicting, but forecasting that Schneider's going to trade back. Is that what we're hearing here? Do you see that (laughs) happening?
3: (laughs) If I were him, I would work hard to trade back just because I think they have pick number 56 in the second Mm -hmm. round Mm -hmm. right now. So I think he could trade back a couple spots and recoup maybe a pick in the 60s and get another in the third round. I think that would help him a lot.
2: All right. Well, let's get right into it. I want to look at the offensive line, center's, for most part, because that is a position with Ethan Posick, there's still question marks about his development. He's going into year yep, five, yep, yep. and he just became the starter last year per se. Where's the consistency? Now, at this for this draft, we just talked about COVID happened, not a lot of film out there. There might be question marks on some of these players, but who do you see at fifty-six that can come into Seattle? And start right, or, right away, whether it be helping in the run game, making sure Russ is happy. Because at the end of the day, Russ wants to win a Super Bowl this season, not next season. He wants to win it now. Is there anyone in the second round that could potentially come in, be a starter, and help this team moving forward?
3: Well, one thing I will say about John Snyder is that he's not afraid to go against the grain. He proved mm-hmm. that with Jordan Brooks yep. a couple years ago, and he selected him in the first round. So, He's not afraid to go against the grain. It doesn't really matter what level of football that they play in. He just wants to bring in guys that he think can be productive. So one guy at 56 that he that I think he could be a fan of, his name is Quinn Miners from Wisconsin Whitewater, mm. a player that that he's created a, a big buzz about himself down at the Senior Bowl. He's seeing him with his stomach out creating – a lot a lot, of, a lot of buzz about himself, but he, he's a good football player. And coming into the year, once again, he was one of those players that was heavily impacted by COVID. He did not have a season at all last year coming from the Division three level at Wisconsin Whitewater. But I think he can be a day one center or he can be a day one guard. He primarily played left guard at Wisconsin Whitewater. But the biggest issue that you have with those small school players is how do they play? when they get that bump up in competition. So him going out there and playing as well as he did at the senior bowl, I think he helped himself a lot. And it would surprise me if he ends up being a second round pick. Now people may say 56 is a little bit rich, but like I said, John Snyder isn't scared to go against the grain and he's going to stay true to his board. And if he likes a player that's there that he feels as if can help the football team right away, it would not surprise, surprise me if Quentin Miners is a selection.
2: Now, what if they take the lotto, and they go deep in the draft and they get a sixth or seventh, guys. There are a project there that the Seahawks, because you, you're very aware of the Seahawks, they do like taking on projects, bringing in guys that they can mold and form in the next two, three seasons. And they end up becoming the starter. Are there guys in that fifth, sixth, seventh round that can come in, learn the process, and then build their future off of that with the Seahawks?
3: Yeah, so one guy that I like a lot, and he's not getting a whole bunch of buzz right now, but I think he can go on to be a very productive, maybe not starter, but maybe some good depth for you. His name is Trey Hill. He's from Georgia, and Georgia always seems to have that one interior offensive lineman that goes on to have a successful career, whether they're drafted early or whether they're drafted on day two or day three. A guy that I liked a couple of years ago coming out was Lamont Gallery. The the Arizona Cardinals ended up taking him in the seventh round, I believe it was, and I think Trey Hill could go along the similar lines as far as a player that could turn into really good depth. And it would surprise me if he goes on to turn into a starter at center or guard.
2: Let's look at the right tackle. Same situation. If the Seahawks are going for the second round at 56, who potentially could they land that can come in? And I'm not saying take Brandon Shell's spot because he played a hell, he did a hell of a job last season, but Pete, he loves to compete. He loves guys going out there fighting for a job. If there's someone that can come in and challenge Brandon Shell right off the top, for that right tackle position. Who might that be?
3: Yeah, there's quite a few guys that I think they're going to like at that spot. And one guy that I think they're going to have circled that has guard and tackle flexibility. His name is Jackson Carmen He's from Clemson. He has that big body that you're looking for. He can play inside. He can play outside and he protected Trevor Lawrence backside or blindside, excuse me, very successfully over the past few years. And he reminds you a lot of Deion Dawkins when he was coming out of Temple. A couple of years ago, and I'm a big fan of Dawkins and I think he compares very favorably to Jackson Carmen. So keep an eye on that for 56. And with this being a very tackle rich class, it wouldn't surprise me. if Some guys do end up slipping back down the board, uh, whether it's a Spencer Brown from northern Iowa, which may be a little bit rich for him. Brady Christensen from BYU. That could be another player that interests them as well. But one player I think is going to be very high on their board, maybe not necessarily at tackle, but at guard is Deontay Brown. The interior Mm -hmm. offensive lineman from Alabama. He has that big body at around 345 pounds. He just likes to knock people around. And one thing that I love to say about Deontay Brown is that if I if I was a rich or famous person, he would be one of the first dudes that I hired to be my security (laughs) whenever I'm walking around somewhere just because he's one of those dudes that just wakes up and chooses violence, for lack of a better word. (laughs) So I'm a big fan of Deontay Brown. with the downhill running game that Seattle. Mm. likes to, to impose i think deontay brown would be a fantastic selection at 56
2: oh we got a bunch of names there i'm sure seahawk fans and listeners of this podcast are really excited about some of those guys you mentioned but the the fun
0: question is how do you we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
2: How do you, Not great. How do you study offensive linemen? And Mike, he dropped me this gem a few, what was it, three years ago. Chris, if, if no one's saying their name, no one's talking about them, they're doing a really good job. Is there any insight you can give us on how you watch O-line play and what separates elite from not so elite and good and bad? What's some of the gems there?
3: Yeah, and I think it was Mike Tice that said this quote when he was back and he was the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, and he was like, offensive line play is kind of like the engine of a car and you never notice it until things go wrong. When you Mm -hmm. pop that hood up, if it's smoking, you're like, man, what in the world is going on with my engine? But whenever you crank that car up, whether you're warming the car up in the morning, or if you're just out for a morning or evening drive and it's running fine, you never really worry about your engine. So I I always like to come back with that quote with offensive line play. But the big thing that I say about offensive line play is that you have to understand the type of scheme that they fit best Mm -hmm. in. So you have a zone scheme, which, was more reliable on your athletes and you want them to win with angles as opposed to your man gap power guys, which is what Seattle really likes to execute of where it's just a body on a body and you're just trying to overwhelm people. So just understanding the scheme and I can go into a lot of specifics about offensive line play just because there's so many different angles as far as how you can evaluate it. Uh, hand usage is something that is big. Awareness, of course, is something else That is big, how well they move is another angle that you can use. But the biggest thing that I would say is just the type of scheme that they fit best in.
1: You know, with with O-line plays, staying with centers, uh, specifically smarts and IQ is something that ends up on all the good guys uh, scouting reports. How do you assess that uh, from afar? Well,
3: the big thing that is different about college football now is that nobody's huddling. Everything is so signal-based, and that's the big adjustment for centers and also quarterbacks as well, going from the college game to the pro game And that everything is based from the sideline. Coaches are doing all the thinking from the box. They're calling the play. They're calling the protection. They're doing all of these things for these players, and basically they're like robots. They're like, just go out Mm -hmm. and execute this play. I've already set you up for success. But in the NFL, we know that these centers, they're pointing out protections, The Mike linebacker is really where the protection starts. And then if there's a certain blitz or if the picture is different, you have to change everything up and you have to communicate that with the quarterback. So awareness of savvy is something that's really hard to evaluate, especially with centers, just because everything is so signal based from the sideline with the college game. But that's why I said getting that type of access is really difficult from a media standpoint, getting guys on the whiteboard and just understanding what they understand about the game. That's just something that we always don't have access to. and We really have to rely on what we hear from NFL teams.
1: Yeah, I think uh, my introduction to that is the 2018 draft. And Seahawks took Alex Magoo, quarterback at FIU. And we were just talking one day, maybe for an interview, I can't remember. But he was telling me he had never, uh, before he got drafted by Seattle, he had never called a play. And I was like, what do you mean you never called a play? And he was like, well, I just looked to the sideline. Coach does a thing. He does something like this or whatever. And it's like, I, I, I know my assignment. And the receivers all knew theirs, too. So I was like, wow, really? Uh, And then I think some receivers are telling me the same thing uh, the next year. They were like, yeah, I came from blank school. I look to the sideline. My coach says, puts his thumb up. All right, I know my route. Like, that's that is a like, are you factoring that in too with the assessment of some of these guys that like they're processing so much of the hand? It's hand holding essentially. Like, are you processing that as well when evaluating these guys?
3: Well, it's kind of hard for us to do that from the media standpoint, just because, of course, we're not in private meetings. We can't put them on the whiteboard. We can't see what their IQ levels are. But I think the great thing about the NFL game now is that everything is going back to the college game. In a sense, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of teams that are actually running no huddle now. Um, I wouldn't say very few teams huddle. A lot of teams still do. But as far as the hurry up tempo, Receivers not switching sides, the limited formations that they're running and then things of that nature. So the game is really evolving back to the college game as opposed to about 15, 20 years ago. You were seeing these heavy personnel sets. Uh, You're seeing a more run game oriented type of offense. And yes, the Seahawks are still kind of in that archaic style of offense. But I think you start to see more college type of concepts and playing styles being involved and really evolving into the game today.
1: Yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is throwing, like, shovel passes to his yeah. tight end, you know, at a bunch of formations, and uh, D- D.K. lined up on the left side of the field, like, 90% of the time as a rookie, <laughs> yes. uh, which is good, though. You're right. that's You adjust to your, your talent, you know? You see more quarterbacks who played all shotgun in college before, you know, they would ask, like, hey, you got you to do under center as a pro. It's like, well, if he sticks right. at that, you know, why don't we you know, adjust our, you know, scheme a little bit? You can see the Browns doing some of that with Baker, like, adjusting to what yep. makes Baker comfortable. Let's go to the other side of the ball, though. Let's let's jump into the cornerback class. Uh, just with the class in general, is it top-heavy with these guys, or is there some depth to be found for a team like Seattle that really needs a corner?
3: I think there's a lot of depth, honestly, and you hear about the top three guys and Caleb Farley, J.C. Horn, and then also Patrick Sertain, the second. Those are really like the headliners of the class, but I'm really impressed with this cornerback class, and we know the one thing that the Seahawks covet at the position is length. And I think there's a lot of guys in this class that they really are going to be able to choose from. Now, with that 56th overall pick, again, that kind of throws a wrench in a lot of this just because I think those top three guys are probably going to be gone around the top 20 with Farley's injury. Now, I would have said prior to the injury, I would have said all of them would have went in the top 15. That would be my best guess. But it's kind of hard to gauge where Farley's going to go right now. But with the Seahawks, they covered that length. Uh, Just because of that cover three scheme of where they play that saddle side technique, putting their back to the line of scrimmage and being able to react, coming back downhill. You're talking about guys like F.E.I.T.U. Melafonbu from Syracuse, about six foot two, uh, 200 plus pounds. I think he would be a really good fit if you're looking for somebody maybe in that fourth round at that number one hundred and twenty ninth pick. Keith Taylor from Washington, I think he's somebody that they're going to have a lot of interest in as well. So they're going to have their pick of the litter and then being able to replace Griffin on the back end. Now that now that he's went down to Jacksonville, they're going to have their pick of the litter. Like I said, this is a really deep cornerback class.
1: I've done a couple of mock drafts now uh, for The Athletic where I've I've taken my man from Syracuse. I'm not going to try to botch his name. You said it right. We only need it once on here. Uh, I've taken him twice, I think. Uh, and some people have mentioned to me that like that's a guy Seattle will be interested in. Where do, I want to go a little bit deeper on, on him. What are, what are the pros if he's there, like 56? Or if any, like you said, even if they trade back and take him at you know, 66, you know, what are the pros if they take him? What are the cons uh, of my man from Syracuse? Very
3: athletic. That's the thing that really stands out about him. Of course, his older brother everybody knows was Obi Melifan. I believe he was a second round pick a few years ago. So he has those bloodlines previously, but don't base his evaluation on him just because he flamed out of the league. That's something that happens a lot with a lot of people for whatever reason, but very long type of corner, great ball skills. I love a lot of the things that he brings to the table. Very interested as a tackler as well. That's something that you worry about with those long corners. Very good with affecting and condensing and squeezing those throwing windows. He uses length to his advantage. I think he's scheme versatile. He can play in cover one, press man, but also he can play in cover three. Turn his back to the sideline, like I said, driving back downhill. He can run. He's a four four guy all day long. So uh, as far as what Pete Carroll covets in his secondary guys at cornerback. I think he's a guy that, like, if they had a first-round pick, it wouldn't surprise me if they take him there either. I think they're going to be that high on him.
2: Let's jump to the offensive side of the football and look at the wide receiver class because the Seahawks, they have found their gems in wide receivers. They have DK and they have Tyler Lockett. But David Moore, he's gone. They need someone in the slot. Who in this draft fits the profile to come in and just be a guy that can get loose in the slot, create separation, catch everything, and just do his job to a level that only elevates DK and Tyler Lockett that pushes this offense forward when they do allow Russ to throw the rock.
3: One guy I think they're going to have circled with the red Sharpie is Elijah Moore from Mm. Oates. I think he's a player that they're going to have a lot of interest in. Lane Kiffin came in and he knew that right away, like, this is my guy. Like he pushed the ball to him, had nearly a hundred catches last year, over a hundred yards, or excuse me, over a thousand yards, double digit touchdowns. He was everything for that offense. And I think he was kind of locked a little bit as far as what they allowed him to do. And I think in that offense in Seattle, they're going to allow him to move around a little bit more than what he did and allow him to play down the field a little bit more, too, just because we know that Russ, he thrives off of play action. I think he's very good with that, taking those deep shots down the field. And not only DK and Tyler are able to do that, but I think Elijah Moore will be a really good mixture as far as in the slot. He also can play outside, too.
2: I think DK would really appreciate that for the most part, considering those guys who were teammates at one point in time. And I did see a highlight of him. He ran a beautiful slant go, which a lot of people refer to as a sluggo. How would you grade his route running and how that's going to translate when he gets into the NFL? Because he is going to land on an NFL team. It just depends on who.
3: Fantastic. I mean, he's an outstanding route runner, very polished. And like I said, he was kind of locked in that offense. They ran a lot of perimeter screens, which is just quick throws outside. And they really like to get the ball to him as quickly as possible just because, I mean, he doesn't have any ankle bones. That's what I like to say. (laughs) These dudes look silly out in open space. And the Seahawks need that. They need that type of firecracker on offense that can dominate the short to intermediate areas just because we know DK is going to thrive deep. That's really where you want him going. He's a north to south type of wide receiver. You really want him getting on that runway and attacking down the field. Tyler can attack all three levels of the field, and Elijah Moore can really be that guy underneath on some of those crossing routes for those digs across the middle of the field uh, of where he can really eat all, both of those guys. So, I uh, mean, I'm a big fan of this fit if they do end up taking him at 56.
2: What's one con that he or one thing that he can work on that's not as polished yet? Because they all they're, I mean, of course, there's always the good. But what about some things that he needs to just work on just to make sure
3: his game is well polished for when he gets into the league? Just playing through contact over the middle of the field. I think that's something that he needs to work on a lot. He's he's constantly rerouted a lot as far as when he's trying to attack the second and third level. I think he needs to understand how to use his hands and dip and rip a little bit better to avoid those linebackers that are what I like to call trying to wall them off and just make them take a wider path than what he normally has to. So just playing through contact a little bit better and understanding how to get other guys' hands off of him.
1: Wait, this is all I need to know about whether they should take Elijah Moore. Is, is that the man who uh he t- pretended to take a pee uh in, in, the, in the bowl game? Oh, yeah. okay, all right. All right. take him, yep, take him because DK did that as well. I'm pretty yeah. sure, yeah, take him. am so that's all I need to know. I just need to make sure that was that was the guy. Um, you know, you had a tweet, um, I have a bookmarked because I it's something I've been thinking about for a while now is about receivers on day two. Yeah. um being baked the sweet spot i think you screen grabbed all the receivers taken on day two of the last four years and there's just studs in there Um, uh, i'll probably share the tweet out when this drops but it's got guys like cooper cup and juju in 2017 um 2018 class i like sutton and some uh, chark other guys 2019 dk aj debo terry mclaurin like this just this is guys why do you think that has become like the sweet spot for receivers
3: Well, I think with receivers, you can find production from those guys. I wouldn't say anywhere. I wouldn't say day three, but day two, that's really where you find your guys that maybe slipped for various reasons, whether it's red flags or injuries or if guys just have questions about them. And even going back to last year, y'all like Denzel Mims, LaVisca, Chenault, T. Higgins. The list goes on and on of some of these guys that you're able to find in the second round. There's not a lot of pressure on them to come in and contribute right away, like a first-round guy like a Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs. So, like I said, I, I like to call it the gold zone as far as where you can find some of those wide receivers on day two. And I think it's going to be a similar situation this year. And you have your first-round guys this year, and we we don't have to go over the names as far as who we see as those top guys like Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. I think those are guys that are comfortably going to go somewhere in the first round. But second round, I mean, you have Tylan Wallace, Terrace Marshall, Rashad Bateman. The list goes on and on of some of these players that you're going to be able to find in the second round. I think it's going to be a repeat of what we've seen over the past four
1: years. I have a theory. I want to let you know. Tell me what you think about it. Is The rise of like all this seven on seven stuff and basically turning into the equivalent of AAU for skill position guys uh, in football is going to increase uh, ready-made NFL quarterbacks, um, but really these receivers, freak athletes, just guys who can ball, just coming in ready. Because it feels like every the last like three years it's been loaded receiver class, loaded receiver class, loaded receiver class. Do you think this loaded receiver class trend is going to continue? And if so, does, is seven on seven playing a role?
3: 100%. Just because they're getting so many reps. And if you think about the highlights you see from the high school circuit, nobody's playing full contact nobody has pads on everything's the 707 Whether it's you know rivals or 24-7 these guys are actually traveling the country now with these 707 tournaments so they're getting so many different reps and if you're an athlete the first position that coaches are going to put you at a running back or wide receiver uh, nobody's really playing defensive back unless you can't catch that's the only right. time they really catch <laughs> to that side of the ball so you're going to play wide receiver or you're going to play running back sometimes even quarterback Depending on how well you throw the ball. So the seven on seven era definitely is helping.
2: How tempted are you to go out there when you're watching seven on seven, throwing a jersey and go see what you got, man? I know you see it sometimes and think I can get out there and compete with these young fellas.
3: Hey man, the only time I get out there is at the family reunion. <laughs> hey man, I'm all time quarterback. That's the only time I get out there. I'm retired, man.
2: <laughs> okay. All right. Just had to throw that out. I wanted to see what you said, man. You're good. All time QB at
1: a turkey bowl. That's what, yeah, there you go. That's it. <laughs> uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about QBs and we could we'll put a, a Seahawks spin on this a little bit, but they're just the talk of this draft uh, as always, everyone trading them and trading up for them. You know, how, how do you rank uh, maybe like the top who, who's, who's worthy of taking the first round pick on Let's. I don't even want to get put a number on who's, who's all the guys you would take, a, take in the first round this year.
3: The guys I feel comfortable with taking in the first round, Trevor Lawrence, of course, we're not to spend a lot of time on him. We know he's the real deal. Justin Fields is my second ranked quarterback. And you guys have seen the stuff that's come out about him, uh, the noise that's come out about him. He's been my 2nd rate quarterback forever. Zach Wilson is my number three guy. And then I have Trey Lance after that. Those will be the four guys that I will be comfortable taking in the first round just because the biggest thing with me is that you have to have some type of mobility at the position just because if you think about all the quarterbacks that have come in successful and been successful, successful Excuse me, over the past two years, All those guys have had some type of mobility. And if you're thinking about the 2018 class, think about the one guy that really flamed out. It was Josh Rosen. And if you go back to a couple years ago, the one guy that flamed out was Dwayne Haskins. And what is the common denominator with both of those guys? They just weren't able to create off script. And if I'm the offensive coordinator, I have to have a quarterback that can make me right if I have you in the wrong situation. That's why I think players like Lamar Jackson. Uh, Baker Mayfield, who has some type of mobility. Josh Allen, we've seen how well he's been able to develop over the past few years. And, you know, some of these other players, Justin Herbert last year, Joe Burrow this past year, all those guys have some type of mobility of where they've been able to just escape uh, if there's a lot of cluttiness or clutterness. And then if there's some muddy pockets around. So just having that type of mobility, I think all those four guys at the top right now, they have that. And then they're very good throwers of the football as well.
1: So it must be blowing your mind then to hear that the Niners are going after Mac <laughs> at, at number three. You don't believe it? Why not?
3: I don't believe it. Um, just because I put it this way. What does Mac Jones give you that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't? There's not a lot of things that you can list besides durability. And we still don't know how healthy Mac is going to be on the next level, even though he hasn't missed no games at Alabama. Just I can't think of more than three reasons or three Uh, Facts that Mac Jones give you that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't. Now, if you think about Justin Fields, think about the upside that he gives you immediately at the position. And I can go and list the same exact things for Trey Lance as well. So I just don't believe the Mac Jones theme to three just because of the reasons that I outlined and why trade up for a guy like that. If he's not a significant upgrade besides the financial standpoint of basically just resetting the clock. Um, as far as his contract so that's the big reason why i don't believe the mac jones at three to the 49ers team
1: I, i'm with you on the mobility part because that's kind of my number one not number one thing but like you've seen these pass rushers man like you can't get away yeah. from these dudes like no you kidding. got no chance but it, w- it wasn't always like that like there's matt ryan's and tom brady's and I you know more stationary guys what do you think prompted I the agree. change that you like need to be mobile now when did that like what prompted that change do you think
3: just the athletes, the disparity of athletes between defensive linemen and offensive linemen. And prior to the the offensive tackle class we saw last year, the offensive line classes were not very good. So what you're seeing is that it's starting to level out a little bit more now. But I mean, you got you got guys like Miles Garrett and Joey Bosa coming off of the edge. You you just can't be a statue. And like I said, these Matt Ryan's and you know, Tom Brady's a super outlier, but Drew Brees and uh, Philip Rivers, all these guys are, they're a dying breed as far as what I mean by that is being able to win strictly with your mind from the pocket. That's just mm-hmm. a dying breed. And the big thing that I like to say with quarterbacks now, why it's such a dying breed is that limited practice time. And think about Philip Rivers coming into the league, Tom Brady coming into the league. You have three a days with these dudes of where right. you're going out, you have unlimited practices, you have unlimited practice time, but now you can have I don't even know if they can have two days no more. I don't know that exact schedule as far as the layout of what they can do. But you have limited time at the facility, not only in college, but also in the NFL as well. And then the patience with these guys is slim. Like if you're not turning out in two years, we finding a new dude to replace you right away. Mm-hmm. So um, the patience isn't there with guys who develop anymore. And just the practice time, the disparity between that when some of those guys were coming into the league is so much different now with some of these younger guys.
1: Yeah, I feel like every offseason we get reminded by one of these defensive linemen just what freaks they really are, and whether it's they pushing Yukon Denali's or <laughs> jumping off of rooftops and saving women from burning buildings. I swear, it's just always something that just reminds us, like, yo, the guys coming off the edge are different. <laughs> like, and you need you need to be able to move your feet uh, to get away from those guys. But obviously, the Seahawks aren't in contention for any of those top guys. But I think you and me in agreement here that like teams should just be taking quarterbacks you know, pretty as often as they can just because of what lottery tickets they become. Uh, At what point did you kind of develop that, you know, like, hey, you guys should start take a guy, even if you don't need a guy, because of what he could become later? It's
3: such an important position, man. Like if I was a GM, I would take one every two years just because you never know when you're going to hit on one of those guys. And I, I'm a firm believer in that the backup quarterback spot is a top 10 value position on the roster just because, it could derail your entire season if your starter goes down. And, you know, the Seahawks have been lucky with the durability that yeah. Russell has been able to have, and they haven't really took the backup spot seriously because of that. You know, you got guys like Geno Smith and some of these other players that they have had on the roster. And I'm of the the belief of that. Once again, quarterbacks are like lottery tickets. You never know when you're going to hit on a Russell Wilson or a Dak Prescott or somebody like that. It, it completely changes the trajectory of your entire roster. And the biggest weapon in the NFL is having a cheap quarterback and the Seahawks did the blueprint. this in 2012 when they took Russell Wilson, you were able to pay guys like, you know, Richard Sherman and cam chancellor top money just because you had a cheap quarterback at the time. And we both know like the Seahawks were supposed to be a dynasty. They were one yard away from being a dynasty and they probably were going to win some more rings after that as well. But that's a subject for another day, but just talking about the weapon that a young quarterback, also a cheap quarterback is to roster building, I think that's something that a lot of teams don't really take advantage
1: of. If the Seahawks were going to, let's say in this scenario, they flip, the, they flip uh, three picks in a seven or eight. If they were going to use one of those on a late round guy to take a flyer on, who do you think is worth, you know, spending a day three pick on for Seattle?
3: Jamie Newman from Wake Forest. He's one guy that I think, you, now he has some development to do. It was unfortunate that we're, we weren't able to see him last year. And there were some questions about why he left Georgia in the middle of training camp. Um, But I think he's a player that you would really like to stash and develop behind Russell Wilson. And, you know, there's some steam about Russ at the time of him getting traded and him having all these demands and all these other things of where you have that young quarterback behind him like a Jamie Newman. I think he's one player that you really uh, will be really intriguing later on down the line maybe two or three years from now.
1: I'm going to put you on the spot, man. I know you like to do your research on these guys. You didn't get to talk to a lot of these guys in person, I'm sure, but did you find a story or two with a a guy, like a background that just really inspired you or was just really interesting when you are evaluating guys this offseason?
3: Ooh, you really did put me on the spot. I know. I'm sorry, man. I remember you gave us a good Um, one
1: last year, so I was like, I know he's got another good one this year.
3: I don't have one this year with the guy that, like, immediately – comes to mind just because you really find out a lot of that stuff doing those combine interviews. Like Mm -hmm. last year, we saw Kenneth Murray, like he saved somebody from a car accident or something like that. He was up on the podium talking about a lot of that stuff. So that's really where I get a lot of my stories from uh, as far as just doing more background information and things of that nature. Of course, like with COVID, I wasn't able to do a deep, super deep dive like I was normally able to do with some of these guys. So, I don't have a, a like a, a you know a gut wrenching story or anything like that about any of these guys this year, unfortunately.
1: Sorry, we'll we'll find one after draft. Exactly, right? Yeah, so the C- <laughs> the Seahawks yeah. definitely are going to find a guy who like whose family escaped the war and in, in Ethiopia oh, or something like that. Matter of yeah. fact, Quady oh. Bay,
3: you reminded me about that one. So Quady <laughs> Bay, uh, he actually was I think he was born during the Liberian Civil War, if I'm not mistaken, and then him, his mom, and his brother moved to Rhode Island. And he was like, I couldn't even point out Rhode Island to me on the map <laughs> um, back then. So uh, he's a player that did have a very interesting backstory. He was an immigrant at the time as well. And they were able to obtain uh, some the the citizenship that they were able to, uh, they were required to get when they came over here. So Kuipe definitely has a very interesting story. That's one guy, uh, once you said war, uh, that really popped up in my mind. So yeah, he definitely has an interesting backstory.
1: What, what school is he from?
3: Michigan. He's an edge rusher from Michigan.
1: You know we didn't. You know I'm I'm gonna put you on a spot again. Sorry about this. Here we go. We didn't talk about uh, some other spots like uh, running back, tight end, or like edge. We don't need to get into all of those. But if of of, of positions like that, maybe even linebacker, um, who's a guy that's on your radar that may fit for the Seahawks? Any of these other spots we didn't, you know, talk about? Um, running back. Just because, you know, Seattle loves to draft them. Uh, (laughs) Ray Sermon
3: is one guy that I think they could like a lot. Now, I'm not necessarily saying they will end up drafting him, you know, in the fourth round, which I think probably where will end up going. But he's one player that I think they'll like a lot. Um, There's plenty of linebackers in this class that they're going to have. I think at 56, there's going to be a lot of guys there for them. Jabril Cox from LSU is one player that I think they'll like a lot as far as the athletic upside that he does have. Um, and then there's plenty of other players that they could go with as well. I mean, there's a lot of things that Seattle can do, man. It's just a matter of if they keep those three picks, which I would highly doubt right now. Okay. If it were me, uh, I would trade back. I'd be looking to trade back from 56 just because, like I said, they don't have a super deep roster. I think they're pretty thin uh, as far as at some position. So uh, I think it would be wise for
1: Snyder to trade back. Well, yeah, man, the Seahawks are so unpredictable. Like, we're going to talk all this about their big needs in interior and receiver and corner, and they're going to take a running back at 56. <laughs> That's what they're going to do. Yeah, you have seen it. this happen Penny, before. I have any special. Uh, how, how surprised were you with the Jordan Brooks pick last year?
3: I was surprised. I like Jordan Brooks, Brooks, but first round, I did not see that coming mm. at all with him. And, you know, every year there's a big surprise as far as a player that does end up going in the first round. There's going to be a surprise this year, especially with everything being impacted by COVID.
2: Mike said at first, hey, they're gonna draft some running back or something that we don't really think they need at this point in time, and that's what happens we're used to it honestly, L- their
3: first Collier ring. was LJ Collier was the same yeah, just yeah. random man so random.
1: honestly between Rashad, LJ and Jordan, I think I've been blown away by their first their first pick the last three years. I don't think it's ever made sense to actually no LJ made some sense, but it was the it was how early yeah. uh he, he went like I'm just I'm shocked every year. did you did you get one of those right? Uh,
2: I got, I forget who. I uh,
1: think that Will Disley or Rasheem? yeah, it was, it
2: was Will Disley. I got Will Wright, and I think it was Rashim. I think I think I got two out of the seven. <laughs> hey, that's 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 not bad. That's you know, throwing bad. I'm throwing lotto tickets here, man. Let me see if I can get a big one.
1: I got I, two. All right, Joe, before we get you get shot out of here, anything anything you want to plug? Anything coming up on the podcast? Any mock drafts or anything coming out? Everyone needs to be on a on the lookout for.
3: Yeah, so I'm releasing my final top 100 big board next Monday on the DraftNetwork.com, of course putting up daily podcasts with the read option podcast. Make sure you guys go check that out. And then I'm releasing positional rankings every day as well as far as updates. So be on the lookout for all that stuff, the draftnetwork.com. We have a great website going as far as articles every day. And then we also have a mock draft machine as well. So if you want to put yourself in the shoes of John Snyder, Um, And you want to trade back from those three spots or, you know, if you just want to take players at those three spots, you're able to do that as well. But the great thing about our mock draft machine is that not only are you clicking on the players, but also you can read scouting reports about them as well.
1: Yeah, no. I spent. I I couldn't sleep one night, and I was up. I was on it on the mock draft simulator. Man, I love it. I love the work. I tell people I'm a I'm a draft phony. Like I don't know anything until like the combine, and then yeah. that's when I really catch up. Between you, um, and, and and the homie Dane Brugler that we have at the Athletic with his stuff. Like I feel like a genius by draft night. By draft weekend, I'm like, yeah, that dude's a bus. That's a reach. <laughs> I, ain't, I I didn't know who that kid was two months be- before. But thanks to the work that you guys do, man, it's it's great stuff, man. We appreciate you, you know, jump jumping on with us, man. You ever need anything from us, you you let me know. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in to this latest episode of the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. Again, uh, powered by The Athletic. we got a lot of draft coverage. We're going to come bring you guys the next few weeks. But make sure you guys, again, go check out all of George stuff on the thedraftnetwork.com. Thank you for tuning in with us. We will catch you guys next time. We're out.
3: Littleton Coin Company, serving collectors since 1945.